0: Merry Christmas. Um, If this is your first time with us, welcome. I'm glad you're here. If you haven't been to church in a while, welcome. I'm glad you're here. We came to celebrate the birth of a baby, but not just that. We came to celebrate the dawning of the kingdom and the king who ushered it in. Amen. And so we're singing a lot about a baby, but we're also singing about a king. And if that's new for you, we'd love to share more with you about what it all means afterwards. Let me take a drink. While I take a drink, get your Bibles out if you have them and go to John chapter 8. We read this past week about a little boy in, in a Christmas program. And if you have kids, you know. That's part of what you have to do as a parent. you got to go to these Christmas programs. When I say you have to do it, I mean you love your kid, and you love your kids, and it's great to see your kids. But then you've got all these other kids, (laughs) and you've got to see them too. We just saw our kids and their Christmas program, and they did awesome, and it was great. Um, but I'm not going to lie. I kept checking my watch, like, when are we out of here? So anyways, um, I probably shouldn't have said that. My kids are in here right now. Uh, They're thinking that about me at this moment. (laughs) Um, But I read a story this past week about uh, this little boy in a Christmas program, and his mom was so nervous that this little boy was going to forget his lines, and so she sat in the front row, and she positioned herself so that she could be as close to the stage as possible so that when it was his turn to speak, in, in the case that he might forget his lines, she would be able to remind him. So she's there in the front row, and sure enough, it's his turn to speak, and he freezes. He's just stiff as a board, staring out into the crowd. And he looks down at his mom, and his mom leans in as close as she can, and she starts mouthing his lines. Unfortunately, though, he has not been trained in reading lips. And so, again, he's just stiff as a board, sweat dripping down his face, frozen stiff. And finally, his mom gets the fact that he's not a trained lip reader, and so she leans a little bit closer, and instead of mouthing the words, she whispers, I am the light of the world, as loud as you can whisper, and it still be a whisper. And the little boy was just so relieved, his face lit up, full of joy, full of excitement, full of feeling. And with all of the passion that he could muster, he shouted out, my mother is the light of the world. (laughs) So close. He almost got it. And they'll laugh at that for the rest of their lives, guarantee you. So what we, we're here to celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ tonight. And the main reason we're here to celebrate is the fact that he actually is the light of the world. He said it this way in John chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, three really big questions I want us to think through and answer tonight as we celebrate the birth of Jesus. First, what does it mean that he's the light of the world? Second, what does it mean that whoever follows him will have the light of life? And then third, why is that the greatest gift of all time? Those are the questions I want us to think about tonight. First, what does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? John 1 Same book, same author, just the beginning, the intro, verses three through four, helps us understand this phrase a little bit better. So read it with me to yourself again, not out loud. Through him, all things were made. Without him was nothing made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. This true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. I love that description of Christmas. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now this word for life in the original Greek language that the Bible was written in is the word zoe, Z-O-E. And it literally means life to the fullest, or the abundant life, or the good life, as we Americans like to describe it. Not just here and now in this world, but literally for all eternity. That's what Zoe means. And so what Jesus is saying here is that since he's the light of the world, he is the one who created life to the fullest. He's the one who sustains life to the fullest. He's the one who holds all of the secrets to the good life that we are reading all these books about trying to figure out. And so he and he alone is the one who has the ability to give that life to the people who are looking for it. That's what it means that he is the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, the darkness of confusion, the darkness of despair, the the darkness of hopelessness. You'll never walk in that darkness, but you will have the light of Zoe, life to the fullest. Now, this is an absolutely incredible claim to make because he isn't just claiming to be the light that shows us the way to life. He's actually claiming to be that life himself. Did you notice that? That's a pretty big claim. So on the one hand, he's saying, I'm the one who can give you the directions to Zoe. I'm the one that can point you in the right direction to life and life to the fullest, but also I'm the final destination. Once you get there, you're just going to find me. He's, he's essentially saying, I don't just know the way to life, but I am the life. That's what it means that he is the light of the world. And this is massive for us, isn't this? I, I know you feel the weight of this because not only do we want the light of life, but our world is saturated with darkness. I mean, it's just drenched, permeated to its core with darkness Martin Luther King once said that darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And so don't you ever get the sense if you're really being introspective that we're all just kind of waiting around for someone to to come along and say, hey, I have the light, or at, at the very least be able to say, I know where the light is so that we can find it and get out of this mess? We look to politicians, we look to philosophers, we look to gurus, we look to pop psychologists. I mean, we are looking to anyone, and now we've got social media influencers. We got some in this room, love you all. Who can show us the light? Who can point us to life to the fullest? They all have ideas, don't they? Like politicians tell us that we can find the light in them. If we just vote for them, they will lead us out of darkness and into utopia. (laughs) never works out. Philosophers tell us that we can find the light in reason. Nothing against reason. Gurus tell us that we can find it in a religious system. All of our Disney movies tell us that we can find the light within. How's that working out? And yet, in spite of all of these people pointing us in all of these different directions, claiming that they know the path to the good life, they're still rioting in our streets there's still corruption in our government and falsehood in our media and greed in our corporations and exploitation of our vulnerable and brokenness in our families and abuse of our children and hatred and distrust of anyone who looks, thinks, or acts differently than we do. As one of our poets put it, I wake and I feel the fell of dark, not day. What if the message of Christmas is this, that Jesus looked into the world that he created, that he saw all of the darkness, and that he decided to give up heaven, that he decided to give up glory, that he decided to be born as a human in poverty and scandal surrounded by wild animals and the lowest of the low, which were these shepherd boys, so that he could ultimately become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that he could lead us out of this darkness. What if that's the message of Christmas? The good news is that's exactly what it is. When he says, I am the light of the world, If anyone would follow me, they would not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He is saying, listen, this is why I came, so that you could have it. So now the big question is, what does it mean to have the light of life? Well, the history and context of John 8 is really fascinating, and it's really helpful because it kind of opens a window into Jesus's world and also Jesus's words as well. The context of John 8 actually starts in John chapter 7. And in John chapter 7 is is this scene called the Feast of Tabernacles. If you don't know anything about Jewish history, which I would imagine many of you don't, the Feast of Tabernacles was this week-long celebration, full of excitement, full of dancing, full of food, full of drink, all of this stuff to celebrate the fact that God had been faithful to them as they wandered through the desert. So that's what this week-long celebration is. God was with us, he was present, and he provided for us the whole way. Now, one of the rituals that they performed during the celebration was the lighting of four massive lamps in the courtyard of the temple. And when I say massive, I mean they were 75 feet tall, and at the very top was a a torch. And, And some historians have said that when these four torches were lit in the temple, it lit the entire city of Jerusalem. I I tried to find an image that would give you an idea of what it looked like, and this is the best one I could find. But just imagine that um, there's a ceremony to remember something really specific and really significant about God, and it has to do with light. You see, with this ritual, the lights were supposed to represent the Shekinah glory. Shekinah glory was this light that guided Israel throughout the desert for 40 years. And even more importantly, the Shekinah glory represented the presence of God. It represented the favor of God. It represented the goodness of God in their midst. And so this Shekinah glory was the glory that dwelt with them in this special tent called the tabernacle. And it's also the same glory that dwelt in the Holy of Holies once Solomon built the temple. It was in this hidden room behind this massive curtain and only one person could get in there once a year and it was the high priest. It was there and it represented the fact that God was with his people, that he loved his people and that he was gonna provide for his people. That's what the Shekinah glory was all about. And so every night during this festival, they would sing and they would dance under these massive torches and, and celebrate the presence and favor and provision of God. This is the thing I want you to understand, though, about what's going on in John chapter 7 and John chapter 8. And I'm going to get to you in a minute, but it won't make sense for you until it makes sense for them. The problem with those torches is that they weren't actually the Shekinah glory. You see, God's glory had left the city of Israel long before this celebration. It had left during the Babylonian invasion because of the rebellion of the Israelites, and it never came back. Even when the Israelites returned from exile and they built this second temple, the first one when it had been destroyed, they built this second temple. Guess what never came back? The Shekinah glory. God never came back to the people. In fact, all they got was silence. For hundreds of years, they had not experienced the presence of God. They had not experienced the favor of God. They had not experienced the provision of God. And so as joyful as this feast was for them, as bright as those lamps were, it was a week-long reminder of the fact that God was no longer with them. It was a reminder of what they had lost, and it was a reminder of what they were looking forward to. This is what I want you to see. John eight twelve picks up the day after the final lighting of those lamps. And do you know where Jesus was when he said, I'm the light of the world? He was in the courtyard. And so I would imagine that Jesus is in this special courtyard and maybe the embers were still hot at the top of these 75-foot torches and maybe you could still smell the smoke in the air. But the light had gone out and God was still far away from his people. And Jesus looked at those lamps. And he looked and saw what they represented. And that's when he made this statement. I am the light of the world. I've come to bring Shekinah back to the people. I've come to bring the presence of God and the favor of God and the provision of God back to you. That's what he's saying. That's the history, that's the context. But this is what I really want you to see because this is what it has to do with you because you're not Israelites and you're not living in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. As profound as this announcement would have been for the people of Israel, it's even more significant for you today. Like infinitely more significant for you today. Because the presence of God that Jesus was claiming to bring wasn't just God with us It was, in fact, God in us. Nobody had ever heard anything like that before. Nobody has heard anything like that since. Look again at verse 12. Whoever follows me will have the light of life. If you've got your Bibles and you've got a pen, circle that word, have, because it literally means to hold in your hand or to own or to possess. So for those of us who follow Christ, God is not somewhere ahead of us in a pillar of fire He's not in some holy tent that only a special prophet can get into. And he's not in some holy of holies that only some special priest can enter into. He is in you. His presence is your possession. Which means... When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will have the light of life, he's saying that our bodies are now the temples of God. And we don't need a temple anymore. And as we just heard Daniel read, he is our priest. We don't need a priest anymore. We don't need to make sacrifices anymore. He has brought God not just to us, but into us. You can see why this is so massive. No matter how pervasive the shadows are, no matter how dark the night gets, no matter how bad it is in the world out there, he will be with us and even in us every step of the way. And so we can face this darkness with hope and with peace and with joy and with love burning in our hearts because we are his And he somehow is ours. That's what it means that you will have the light of life. That's the gift that Christ came to give. So now the final question, why is that the greatest gift of all time? (laughs) First, it's the greatest gift of all time because that gift cost him everything. One author put it this way, Men who love much will give much. And you can usually measure the truth of love by its self-denials and sacrifices. That love which spares nothing, but spends itself to help and bless its object is love indeed and, and not the mere name of it. Guys, if that's true, and I believe it is, then there has never been a greater gift in the history of the world that has ever communicated a greater love in the history of the world because there has never been a gift that cost as much as the gift that Christ gave you. Never in the history of the world. It didn't just cost him a lot. It cost him everything. John 5, 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. But get this, Jesus didn't just lay down his life for his friends. He laid down his life for his enemies. Romans 5, you see, at just the right time, that's what we're celebrating right now, at just the right time, 2,021 years ago, just the right time. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us cost him everything. This is what I want you to see. In order to get the presence of God in us, first, he had to get the presence of sin out of us. Because that's what actually separated us from God. The only way to get sin out of us was for him to die for that sin in our place you and I can receive the gift of the light of life because Jesus was willing to lay down his life for us. It's the greatest gift of all time because it communicates the greatest love of all time and it communicates that by sparing nothing and sacrificing everything. Do you see that? The second reason it's the greatest gift of all time is that it met our deepest need. The great sage Michael Scott once described giving gifts like this. Presents are the best way to show someone you care. It's like this tangible thing that you can point to and say, hey man, I love you this many dollars worth. (laughs) Amen. Now we know that Scott really isn't a sage. If you've seen this show, you know he's a doofus. Doesn't actually know what he's talking about. More often than not, The gifts that mean the most to us, the gifts that communicate the most love to us have very little to do with money, right? I mean, they're much more like that teapot just jam-packed with inside jokes and sentimental trinkets. If you know, you know. It's not just about how much you spend on a person. Get this, it's about how much you know a person. That's what makes a gift a good gift, Not just about how much you spend, but how much you know. What do you need? What do you care about? What do you love? What do you want more than anything else in the entire world? Who knows the deepest desires of your heart? Guys, Jesus didn't just give up everything to give us something that we didn't actually want. (laughs) He gave up everything to give us what we want the most. What our hearts need and crave and long for more than anything else. And what we've seen for the last four weeks, and I don't have time to get into all of it again, but it's all there on the website somewhere. What we need and what we crave and what we long for more than anything else is to be brought back into the presence of God. Because it's in his presence that we get his pleasure. And it's with his pleasure that we get his peace. And it's with his peace that we get his purpose. And it's with his purpose that we get his joy. That's what every single one of us were made for. You could get all kinds of things this year, all kinds of gifts, but if you don't get the presence of God, your heart won't be satisfied. As Augustine put it, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. And so the good news of Christmas is that Jesus gave up everything so that you could have everything. So that your deepest needs could be met. Your deepest longings of your soul could be realized. And your hearts could finally find their contentment and their rest in him. Finally, this gift of the presence of God is the greatest gift of all time because it will last Forever It's not like the box of chocolates that's really good for a couple of minutes and then it's gone. Some of y'all are going to get chocolates. I don't know who asked for that stuff. Last for seconds. Be smarter with your requests. It's not like a vacation that's wonderful for a few days, and, and then it's over. It's not like a car or a TV or some other kind of toy that's amazing for a few years and then needs to be replaced. Every single gift that you're gonna get, that you're gonna open up either tomorrow night or the day after is going to fade away. It's gonna break, it's gonna die, it's gonna need to be replaced because everything under the sun, everything on earth is transient. And so even the greatest joy that you're gonna receive either tomorrow or the day after, is like got a tinge of pain and sadness that comes along with it because you already know it's not going to last. And every single one of us feel that. The gift of the presence of God is the greatest gift of all time because it never runs out. It never fades away. It never loses its luster. It never gets old. In fact, the more we experience of it, the better it gets day after day from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. And you experience the presence of God in that way and then another degree of glory day after day, year after year until finally one day we stand before him and what we have experienced by faith, we will experience by sight and the joy of that moment, the culmination of all of this will be endless glory forevermore. Never runs out. Man, for all eternity, we're going to bask in his presence. We're going to delight in his presence. Revel in this gift. It's the greatest gift in the entire world. Jesus is the light of the world, those who follow him will never walk in darkness, but they will possess the light of life. That's what Christmas is all about. Amen. Let's pray. Would you stand with me?